sports, which is something you can do to try and make money. One thing to know is this podcast is not going to be the reason you get rich off sports betting. To repeat, we're not going to get you rich. There are plenty of these balls all over the internet. I'll be happy to take your money based down that lie. Here at best, we're going to make you a little bit less awful of a sports better if you're lucky. Bet at your own risk. Don't bet more than you can afford to lose. And Godspeed. Let's start the show. Hello there. Big thanks for everyone who tuned in to our first episode. Uh, I got tons of feedback. Really appreciate that. Um, we're obviously a work in progress, but uh, just trying to get better every episode. Uh, today for you, we have a couple of things. First off, we're going to uh, go over college football, previewing the, the top five uh, conferences in the country. Then we're going to talk a little fantasy football, hopefully get you ready for your draft. A lot of people had drafts last weekend, but a lot of people are going to have them this week and weekend leading up to the start of the NFL season. Rob, I know you had a fantasy football draft this weekend. How was that? How was your week? How was your weekend? Uh, I was actually sick this weekend, but I, I did manage to make my draft. I didn't auto draft. I consider that in itself a really big win. Um, <laughs> with your help, I, uh, I made some picks that seem a little, uh, Let's put it this way. Yahoo Fantasy's algorithms are not giving me that good of grades. They actually sent me a, a draft grade afterwards, and they told me I had I got a B, and I've really never been so offended. Who do you think you are, <laughs> Yahoo Fantasy, giving yeah. me a B? Um, but no, I kind of like that. I didn't just like pick the top-ranked stuff of whatever they give you, so right. I'm feeling good about doing something different. Absolutely. And for you to be so offended, I mean, especially considering the type of snowflake you are, I mean, that's saying a lot. So that's um, huge. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's actually funny. I, I had uh, my Yahoo draft this weekend with actually some of our college buddies out in glorious San Diego. And we had one of our buddies drafted Patrick Mahomes in the first round, which is a no no. You do not take a quarterback <laughs> in the first round. And he received uh, an A. So it just shows Perfect. you. Um, Yahoo's algorithms and really just the whole AI movement in general is a complete fraud. And um, yeah, it, it's a compliment. The lo lower or the worse letter you get, the, the better. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I like that. Some, yeah, yeah. So I, I did see some of the idiots we went to college with this uh, this weekend. I had some people reach out to me who listened to the first episode and, and wanted to know more about uh, how we knew each other. Um, I know your mic was kind of uh, going in and out at the beginning of the last show when you were kind of introducing yourself, but uh, Rob and I went to Arizona State together uh, about 10 years ago. Like, wow, we met, what, 10 years ago? That's crazy. 10 now years ago this month. Yeah, yeah, pretty much this time 10 years ago. That's, that's funny. Um, it's kind of it's interesting because I was down between Arizona State and Old Miss, so I'm from the D.C. metro area, and I was down between those two places. And I picked ASU over Old Miss. And then I, I get to ASU, and my roommate is from Mississippi. And that's obviously Rob. And now here we are doing a podcast 10 years later. So, um, yeah, roommates in college, friends in college. I've uh, been friends ever since. But I, a lot of people asked um, about how do we knew each other and also our expertise. So um, I kept referencing how I've been a sports better, but Rob does not – bet on sports right but you, you are i think you said in episode one you are a self-proclaimed sports guy is that correct rob 
Sports guy. That's honestly a stretch to be a sports guy. <laughs> I, I enjoy sports, uh, particular ones. I really love to shit on sports more than I love <laughs> watching them, making fun of other people's enthusiasm, yeah. um, especially about the NFL. I'm definitely an NFL like cynic. Oh, yeah. Um, but no, I love sports. I played baseball forever. And I broke my leg playing basketball, which I pretended to be good at for like a couple months before I broke my leg. Um, but no, I'm, I'm a, like a casual sports guy. I've played a couple fantasy things. I did beat you in NBA fantasy, if you want to tell that story briefly. Okay. That's George Long's fault for inviting you. And I was undefeated. First of all, you don't do head-to-head. It's bullshit. Um, but yeah, um, I also forgot Tucker for the Suns had his 73-point game that week for you against me in the playoffs. Very Tucker upset. has never had a 73 point game. Are you talking about the Devin Booker? Excuse me. Devin, Devin Booker. Booker. Devin Booker. Yeah. PJ. Yeah. Not TJ, but yeah, Devin Booker. But yeah, that's, that's bullshit. Uh, and also you, you don't bet on sports, but you, you do have uh, a finance background, right? And I know you briefly touched on that, but some people weren't aware of that. Yes. Yes. I work in finance professionally and uh, kind of the, the genesis of this podcast is, you and me talking and arguing and figuring out the parallels between uh, betting on sports and trading, making trades. Absolutely. Good. Good. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure everyone was kind of on board that I had multiple people reach out and and tell me that, especially people we didn't go to college with. So hopefully that ties up any loose ends and we kind of get into the material. Um, Also your fancy football name. You got to share that one. Yeah. My fantasy football name is fullback yoga. Uh, don't know what inspired me to, to do that but it's a my avatar is a big fullback guy doing yoga i just yeah i don't know i like it yeah i think it's because you're a hipster but we'll, we'll get to the fancy football part uh at, at the second uh, half of the show first and foremost we want to get into college football uh college football really week one starting thursday this week uh podcast is going to drop thursday morning so hopefully you hear it uh, but the, the meat of it's going to be Saturday, and it's going to be Saturday for, for the next 12 to 13 weeks. Uh, the biggest thing I wanted to reach out and, and let people know is really how college football and really football in general is so different. Uh, the biggest thing about college football is there's so much turnover every year. So you have graduations, transfers, um, you know, discipline issues, things of that nature, coaching changes. Uh, there's also no uh, preseason games. So it's lots of speculation. I mean, I remember last year, Lincoln Riley, the coach of Oklahoma, didn't officially name Kyler Murray the starting quarterback until two or three uh, days before the first game of the season. So it just shows you coaches are playing mind tricks. Everybody's playing mind tricks. Obviously, Kyler Murray went on to uh, be the starter and the Heisman winner and the number one overall pick. So it's just showing you there's so much head games on so many different ways that uh, really, especially early in the season, the lines that are out there, they're they're educated guesses at best. So uh, Hawaii upset Arizona as like 12 or 13 point underdogs in, in week zero. So there was a couple games this past weekend. Uh, and just don't forget, we're dealing with 18 to 23 year old kids here. Uh, so there's just a lot of variables. Uh, it's a short season, 12 games. A lot of these teams, you know, they play eight games. Only a few conferences play nine conference games. So mostly it's eight games. The other four, you're playing different opponents. I know a lot of SEC teams don't even schedule tough opponents, things of that nature. Uh, so the way I bet college football is I really focus on three conferences. 
I track five, the five major ones and that we're going to talk about today. But the three I really focus on is SEC, Pac-12, and Big 12. Um, the reasons be- uh, behind each conference varies. SEC is, is obviously the best. Uh, you get the biggest games, uh, the most live betting opportunities, and also the most likely teams to actually make the playoffs so that they're actually going to play 13, 14, and 15 games. So more betting opportunities. I bet the Pac-12 uh, – once or obviously because we're both Pac-12 graduates with Arizona State, uh, but also because they play late at night. I'm here on the East Coast, but I can see a lot of their games later uh, in the evening. They're more standalone-ish. And then the Big 12 is because there's only 10 teams. They also play an exciting brand, I will say. But when I watch a Big 12 game, there's two teams playing. That's 20% of the league. So I'm watching the, the first Big 12 game. I watched maybe a couple more and I've, I've seen pretty much the entire conference play that day. And then I can move on and make my picks for next week. Uh, and it's just easier to follow that way. There's other people that I know that, that are way more successful than me. They bet every single conference. Matter of fact, they, they focus on those smaller conferences. There's different ways about it. I came to this just because I'm more of a uh, art and science guy than just a science where people just strictly run numbers. I also like to bet live and with football. Everything is so game plan specific, so certain coaches are more flexible. Maybe they'll they'll run a certain offense or they'll run a certain defense when they're play, facing a certain team. Uh, so I, that really lends itself to live betting, which I'm better at than just the simple pregame bets. Uh, but yeah, that's just really how f- college football especially is, is so unique. It goes so, so quickly. Um, I have a couple of season-long bets, which I'll share as we go over each conference. I kind of just wanted to tackle college football, huh? no pun intended there, uh, hey. all together before we uh, we get started. Uh, but does, does that make sense, Rob? Does anything jump out to you? Any questions about that? Or maybe you think that the average better, the novice better would, would have with that? Yeah, it sounds like college football in general is a less efficient market. Last, year, last week you said that the NFL is like, the tightest, right? Yes, um, and right. the efficiencies are being exploited quickly. It sounds like kind of the standardization of the game makes yes. less, um, I don't know, less variation. So college football is more high variance. Yes. There's more meat on the bone for good analysis. And then <laughs> it's, over the years, this has become a theme. It's probably not a theme to the listeners yet, but you love to talk about how like games w- with 18 to 21 year olds are like, you just got to remember how incredibly random they are and like the the weird variables that can feed into the outcome of yeah. something like that i'm sure we'll hear you hear you say that <laughs> and give, give examples yeah and, and not only that are they 18 to 23 year olds they're also 18 to 23 year old amateurs so they're not professionals um they don't really you know they don't have a good head on their shoulders a lot of times just like i didn't have a good head on my shoulder at that age you know so why why would you expect them to um so i mean yeah you you see you know, just higher ranges of outcomes, variability. That's why you see a lot more big plays in college football because you'll see more blown assignments, things of that nature. I mean, it is a more exciting brand of football, absolutely. Uh, but uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and get started with the SEC. Uh, so each conference, and I'll post this on my website, so that way you can kind of take a look at it and help you as a guide. Uh, but really the biggest thing that jumps out to me this year is is really Alabama and Georgia. They're, they're destined to meet each other in the SEC championship uh, we saw Florida this week. I wasn't actually able to watch the game, but I, I did watch the highlights and I, I read some. 
Felipe Franks is their quarterback, and and he really has to take a huge step this year uh, to to really challenge Georgia in the SEC East. And from what I read, he didn't do too well. That being said, Miami does have a really good defense, a really SEC quality defense. Uh, but he's the one to manage. I think Florida is the only team in the East that has a chance to topple Georgia in the East. And just to give you an example of how tough the SEC West is, the fifth best team in the SEC West is Mississippi State, whereas the second best team in the SEC East is Florida. And I would have Florida just a three-point favorite against Mississippi State. So it just shows you that really Georgia's kind of pretty much a lock to get into uh, the SEC title game. That being said, they do play later in the season, Georgia and Florida. It is a neutral site game. It is a rivalry game. We are talking about college football. But to me, it's it's kind of Georgia's going to definitely come from the East. And really from the West, uh, Alabama is, is still a perennial team. Uh, they got, quote, unquote, blown out in the championship game. But if you look at kind of the, the metrics, the stats that really matter, uh, it wasn't nearly as big of a blowout. Also, Nick Saban, anytime he's had a chip in on his shoulder, on his shoulder um, he, he's just has produced the most out of from his teams. And you just got to look at it from like a, a stock market a point of view. Uh, all year, Alabama was like the team of destiny, and then because of one game, you know, one sixty-minute span, uh, they go from being the maybe the best team ever to you know, oh, they got blown out by Clemson. So you you are buying at a dip, if you will as they say in your industry, Rob. Uh, so you're kind of, you're not, you're not getting a, a cheap price on them, but in terms of their public perception, I think we forgot how dominant this team truly was last year going into it. <clears throat> that being said, LSU returns a ton of talent. If their if their offense makes a, a jump, there's a possibility they can compete. Um, and, and then really, Texas A&M is a very interesting program. They're a year away. But they are uh, they kind of let everyone know they're they're coming for the the top of the SEC when they gave Jimbo Fisher that uh, seventy five million dollar contract, all guaranteed by the way. But in twenty twenty eight, we could see them actually pushing for the title. Sorry, I just want to pause there. Jimbo Fisher just got seventy five million dollars guaranteed to coach football in College Station. In in fabulous College Station, and uh, he also has a no buyout, so he can leave whenever. <laughs> So if, um, you know, one of those Netflix JUCO schools calls him and is like, hey, man, be cool if you came down here, he could leave for that and would not have to give it back at all. I'm Netflix sure I, JUCO school. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure that there's probably a little bit more complex writing in his contract. But from what has been provided, he um, <clears throat> no school would have to pay Texas A&M to take him away. So, um, yeah, they, they're trying, I mean, they, that, that's the first time I've ever said, okay, Texas A&M, you're, you're with the SEC West crazies, you know, cause I mean, I've, I've met a lot of crazy fan bases, but the SEC West schools, really SEC in general, they're, they're pretty, they're into their football. So I guess, I guess this is them getting into the, uh, the conference, if you will. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, really there's not too much else about it. I mean, I, I've wrote a good amount about each team. Like I said, it'll be on the website over-unders, things of that nature. Uh, but it's really just Alabama and Georgia, and, and I'd really be shocked if it was anyone else. I know we have some old Miss buddies, but Mississippi State is actually going to be a pretty good team this year. Um, that that's a be a fun team to, to maybe make some money on betting individually. But uh, as far as competing for the championship, it's, it's really Alabama and Georgia, and it's going to be a heck of a, a round three, if you will, uh, for these two teams. Uh, next, we're going to move to the Big 12. 
And I really think it, it's hard to say this just because the Big 12 is kind of – it's never been considered the best conference. But what Oklahoma has done in the Big 12 is is really they're the only juggernaut west of the Mississippi. I mean, you have Alabama and you have uh, Clemson, who are clearly the one-two. And, and, and what Georgia's done the last couple of years has been really impressive. Uh, but what Oklahoma's done has been really amazing. Uh, they're 35 and three, so 35 and three the last four years in their conference, uh, which is pretty pretty impressive. Um, they're bringing in Jalen Hurts from Alabama, looking to make it three straight quarterbacks who have transferred to Oklahoma to win the Heisman. The biggest thing I think they had this year, and a lot of people uh, who follow the Big 12, they brought in Alex Grinch, who's the defensive coordinator, uh, to to kind of hopefully make that defense a little bit more. Uh, coherent and a little bit more, uh, you know, giving up less big plays because that's kind of been their Achilles heel. But I mean, this offense, the last four to five years, has been the best in college football. I mean, it, it's really, I mean, obviously with the two Heisman winners. And I mean, uh, do yourself a favor and watch an Oklahoma football game if you if you haven't. Uh, I mean, a lot of people saw the Rose Bowl game a couple years back against Georgia. Uh, even when they went down early against Alabama, I mean, that offense in that in the semifinal game this year was really impressive. Uh, as far as <clears throat> other teams in the Big 12, Texas is a very polarizing team, but it, a lot of people I respect, including myself, uh, don't like really Texas to compete with Oklahoma. Everyone kind of thinks, everyone that I respect at least thinks there's a clear tier between Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, they they won 10 games last year, but they kind of very easily won eight. Everyone kind of loves how they beat Georgia in the bowl game, but Georgia lost the SEC championship game to Alabama, and it was just a complete flat spot for Georgia, playing essentially a meaningless game. They also have road games at TCU, Iowa State, and Baylor, and of course they play Oklahoma in Dallas. So those are are, uh, difficult games there. And it's important to remember the Big 12 does not have divisions. So the way they do their championship game is you – it's the top two teams no matter who they are. So – that's important when trying to think about with for futures and whatnot, and it's one of the reasons why I like Iowa State actually. So, both Oklahoma and Iowa State, I bet to win the Big Twelve. Uh, I bet Oklahoma at minus one thirty eight. So that means essentially, if my unit was a hundred dollars, I I bet one hundred thirty eight dollars to win a hundred um, for Oklahoma. But then I got Iowa State at ten to one. I put a half a unit on it, so. At ten to one, so if we're using the same thing, it's like I put fifty dollars on it, and I would win five hundred dollars if Iowa State wins. And the reason why I like Iowa State is because uh, Matt Campbell is has been the two-time Big Twelve Coach of the Year. Uh, he's kind of the next. Everyone knows he's going to be the next coach to get the the next big job. So whether it's like a you know a Michigan or a USC or that type of level job, he's pretty much a shoe in for whatever big job he wants. Uh, he's had a winning against the spread record every year with this with this uh, Iowa State program. And just kind of give you a, a sense of what he's done at Iowa State in the 36 years prior to his arrival. The uh, the Cyclones only won eight games one time, but 
They've won eight games the last two years under Matt Campbell. And this team's kind of turned around and, and, you know, getting that momentum. So, and also they play OU on the road. So they're probably going to lose to Oklahoma on the road. That's kind of a given, but their biggest competitors for the, that number two spot is Texas, TCU and Oklahoma state. And they get them all at home. So that's really big for those tiebreakers. The other note I kind of made about the, the big 12 is there's four new coaches and those are kind of the four bottom feeders of the team, uh, excuse me, of the league. That's Texas Tech, Kansas State, West Virginia, and Kansas. They're all not expected to compete. So it's kind of a very cut and dry um, league, especially with only 10 teams, especially when 40% of those teams have new coaches. So uh, I think it'll be an interesting year, but I, I like the Cyclones under Iowa State. And uh, really, that Iowa, if Iowa State were to beat Texas and get that tiebreaker, uh, it's pretty much a guarantee that they'll they'll be that two seed unless you know you get a meteoric rise from from TCU or Oklahoma State. Uh, is there anything that kind of jumps out to you going over the SEC or the the Big Twelve so far? Bulldogs, man, that's exciting for them. I read your preview that you'll post on the website. Uh, sad news for Rebel fans. I'll leave that for those who want to go chase that down. Um, and then your Iowa State thing made me think of that. Uh, that Bulls coach wasn't he? Didn't he the Frank whatever jump from Iowa State basketball to the oh, Bulls, yeah. and then it was awful. Yeah, yeah, the mayor, dude. Yeah, he went to the Bulls. He's actually at Nebraska now. He's actually <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, fuck. How do I forget his name? But uh, yeah, he's he's an absolute shooter. He's like one of the best shooters in Iowa State history. But um, yeah, he made that jump to the the Bulls. Didn't do do as well. But yeah, Matt Campbell's the next one to use Ames as a uh, launching pad. For sure. <laughs> Aims the rocket, the rocket pad. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Now to our favorite conference, obviously, uh, the old Pac-12. Uh, yes, they are still a, a major conference. Okay, all you haters out there. Um, but the the interesting thing here is the two divisions are, are, are really night and day. So in the south, we have Utah, which is the favorite. So makes us sound a little old, but Utah was not in the Pac-10 at this time uh, when we were in school, I believe. But now they are the favorite in the Pac-12 South. Uh, they, they return a ton of starters. They have the best defense in the Pac-12 overall. And like I said, they start, they return 14 starters. They made it to the Pac-12 championship game last year without their quarterback and their running back for nearly half the season. The schedule is much more favorable this year. And they can essentially wrap up uh, the Pac-12 South in at the end of September when they go to face USC on the road. Um, really, unless a meteoric rise happens between UCLA, ASU, and Arizona, and I, I wrote this before Arizona lost this past weekend, so really just a meteoric rise of UCLA or ASU, uh, it's pretty much going to be that game. And even if they lose that game to USC, it's hard to find two more conference losses uh, as the only will be an underdog for one other game the rest of the year, which would be uh, against Washington on the road. Uh, some people even have them as a, a slight sleeper for a playoff contenders. I don't think they have the depth for that, but they, they've really uh, they've really gone up in terms of the, the uh, projections and whatnot. They used to be a really good team to buy on, and now they're actually probably slightly overvalued. Um, next in the SEC, or excuse me, in the Pac-12 South is USC. One interesting thing about USC is, is the fact that Clay Hilton, their uh, coach, was not fired after last year. It was their first losing season since 2000 for UNC. 
they lost four games in which they had double digit leads. Uh, just really the, the coaching staff never felt in sync. They brought in Cliff Kingsbury to be their offensive coordinator. And then he was hired by the Cardinals. So, I mean, it's just the whole program is really a big mess. Talent is, is not an issue for this team at all. But the biggest thing here is is their schedule. Their first six games, they play Fresno State at home, Stanford at home. Then they go at BYU. Then they play Utah at home, at Washington, and at Notre Dame. So the first thing that jumps out to me is really that BYU game. Um, why, as the USC Trojans, are you playing a non-conference game at BYU? Uh, they, they are the complete opposite of USC. So BYU is a team with – they don't have any five-star recruits but they play an extremely physical brand of football and they have a, <clears throat> a a pretty big chip on their shoulder and whatnot. Also, of course, they're Mormon. And uh, if you've been to LA, it's a little different than uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, they, in, in the physical brand of, of uh, football they play is going to be three weeks straight. So they're going to get Stanford and then they're going to get the BYU game and then they're going to get Utah. So three of the most physical brands of, fo- of football uh, pretty much in the country for a three-week span. Then they go on the road to play at Washington, who's been the best team in the Pac-12 the last three years. And then they go at Notre- rival Notre Dame. So USC would, would take, right now, if you offer them to be 4-2 and two after those games, they would take that. To me, 3-3 three and three or even 2-4 and four seems much more likely. And the back half of the season, it does ease up, but every Pac-12 team circles USC on their schedule. So to me... After that six-game season, is is Hilton, is he going to be able to keep his locker room, let alone his job? He might get fired midseason. So USC, to me, I, I don't see him making it through this year. Uh, if he does make it through the season, they, they I guess you know they had a heck of a year. But um, pretty much it's the worst-kept secret in La La Land that, that he's, he's pretty much done after this year. I, I really don't understand why he doesn't or why he wasn't let go. Uh, but other than that, ASU's kind of a, a year away. UCLA's a year away. Arizona's kind of looking like a dumpster fire. And then Colorado has a new coach and is kind of rebuilding. So the, the Pac-12 South, and this is one of the bets, and I'll, I'll give you some of the bets I made for the SEC and, and the, and the uh, Big 12. But the bet I have for the, the Pac-12 South, at least, is uh, Utah to win the conference. I got them at 465. They're they're down to like 240 now. I wouldn't play anything under three. And I've heard a podcast actually say something very similar. Uh, but they're going to be in the 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 Pac-12 South championship game, uh, bearing injuries, things of that nature. Now the real interesting thing with the Pac-12 is the North. Uh, it's a a lot of people think it's a two horse race between Oregon and Washington. On paper, Oregon's a much more talented team, or, or I shouldn't even say much more talented team, but just a, a much sexier team to pick, kind of to win the the division, the North, and, and maybe even the conference. They have 17 returning starters. They have a top five pick as at quarterback. They have the conference's best offensive line and a great recruiting class. Uh, but their coach was never – it's only his second year. He was never thought to be a, a great coach and waiting, things of that nature. And they've been really bad on the road the last three years, 4-12 and 12, to be exact. Uh, then they play Stanford, Washington, and USC on the road. And they play week one. So this upcoming weekend, they play Auburn in a neutral game in Texas. So that will kind of tell us a lot about the Ducks, I think. Uh, Washington is kind of thought as the se- that second team in that race. But they uh, – they lost a lot from from an amazing defense last year. They had nine starters 
from probably one of the best Pac-12 defenses in the last five to ten years. Uh, they also lost their leading rusher and leading passer in, in uh, all time for their, their team. The good news is they have plenty of, of talent coming back, and they have a really easy schedule. Uh, for that reason, I'm picking Washington over Oregon in the north, even though I think maybe the Ducks are more talented. But I'll, I'll take an easy schedule and a better coach any any day. And also just kind of being the devil, you know, the, the better team of late. Uh, if you like an outsider to win the, the North, this is actually a team I've made a bet on. Stanford at plus 620. So just over 6-1 to one to win the North. This has been the decade of, of Stanford football uh, in the 2010s. They've won over 10 games this decade, the 2010s. Uh, on paper, it looks like they lose a lot, but they're returning a really good quarterback. Uh, and they host both Oregon and Washington, which will give them a great opportunity for a tiebreaker. So, uh, yeah. Wait, I, what was I, that about the 10 games? You said they've, they've won 10 games, like on average? Or? On average, yeah. So they, they on average, they've won 10.4 games this decade. So they haven't won 10 games each year, but they've won 10.4 I mean, that, that's just remarkable consistency, especially considering we're talking about one of the best universities in the world. Um, so I, I just I feel like too many people are calling this a two horse race. And and at six to one odds, um, you don't even need this to win. You just need them to be in the running in October, November. And you could hedge out profit by betting, let's say, you know, when they play Oregon or when they play Washington later in the season. But um, they've it, it, just done too much for them to be six to one just to simply win the division. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. All right. So that's that's the Pac-12. Um, those three are really my main ones. I'm just going to briefly, briefly kind of cover uh, the the other two conferences and then kind of tell you my bets for the other ones. Um, as for the ACC, it's as simple as this. Uh, the conference is just completely mediocre without Clemson. It, it's just so many teams' win totals are like six or six and a half. It's so hard to, to predict the beginning of the year. There's a lot of turnover. Um, I just watched the Clemson games, like I said. I have a, a really big bet on Clemson. This sounds really degenerate, but I, I have a 10-unit bet on Clemson to win the national championship game. I made this in January when they beat Alabama um, at the Westgate in Las Vegas. I kind of ran up there because the line was coming. It was changing as the game was going on, as they were beating Alabama. There's just no way this team doesn't get to the uh, – the, the, playoffs so, so the, wait sorry the 2020 yes. futures championship line was changing during yes. last year's game how was it changing what did it yeah, look like it was it was changing so pre-game that the punishment was like five to one in some places and then as clemson was leading at half it went down to like 350 and then as they were dominating the second half, it got down to 250. I took it at 250. It got down to like 200. Now most places are at like 200, 220, 225. But the amount of money I got down on it, you're I, you're not going to be able to get down. You know, even if you find a 250 right now, and I think you could probably find some around, you wouldn't be able to get down the amount of money I got down. And like I said, it's I don't plan on letting it roll. I plan on kind of once I get to the playoffs, reevaluating the scenario. I mean, if Trevor Lawrence, you know, breaks his leg or whatever, it happens, whatever. But they're just path is so easy. The ACC is just so terrible, um, and and yeah, that's pretty much all you need to know about uh, about the ACC. It's just complete mediocre. Uh, I mean, I, I wrote I wrote up you know stuff about each team, and that'll be on the website. If you're interested in that, it's there. But, but to me, I don't pay too much attention about that this conference, other than Clemson. 
And then when finally, things are simple like that. Mm-hmm. So like, there the your theme overall is like, all right, most of this these are like bad teams, mediocre teams. Clemson is um, on paper like very much the favorite. Does that make for? It sounds like you're saying it doesn't make for a more favorable betting environment, but right. does it, right? Is this like well, well, worth paying it, attention to Clemson, BC, or whatever? Or is that something where it's it's so obvious that it's pretty efficient, it should be baked into spreads or whatever? Right. It's just this team, if you look at it year in, year out, and I, I mean, I, college football, I haven't been doing as seriously as, as college basketball, but for college football, at least last three years, the ACC has been like this. Now, when Florida State was a little bit better, and Clemson wasn't so dominant. It was a little easier. But, I mean, the, these these Boston colleges and NC States, and, I mean, they just go through these cycles. It's like they win four games one year, then they win eight, then they come back to five. It's like it's just so spotty. There's no consistency with these programs. It's really ridiculous. Um, like Duke was, I think, 5-0 and oh last year and then ended up being 6-6. Six and six. Like it was just, just so many of these things. Uh, it's just hard to get a feel for this. And since I'm so – you know, I'm not just strictly numbers. If I don't have a feel on, on a conference and it's been this long, I just realize, okay, I'm going to use my time elsewhere, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And, and I'm not the only person that, that said this. I've actually heard another uh, person I follow talk about the ACC in this way. Um, but, yeah, that's a good question. It's a really good question. And then, finally, the Big Ten. Uh, so, the Big Ten, it's either going to be Ohio State or, or Michigan in the East Division. Uh, a lot of people are, are picking Michigan to win this year. Uh, Ohio State losing Urban Meyer, uh, Justin Fields, the transfer from Georgia, kind of a question mark. Michigan brings in a new offense. Tons of the defense has been excellent the last couple of years. A lot of people think it's kind of like a now or never thing for Michigan. And then the Wild West in, in the Big Ten, very easily five teams could win the league or the division, I should say. There was a bet that I'm looking if it gets lower to take the field against Nebraska. Nebraska was four and eight last year. It's second year of Scott Frost. He was the guy who, who brought UCF to <clears throat> that that uh, quote unquote national championship, if you will. But I think it's kind of too too soon for that. Right now, I see it at minus three hundred. So I, I'd have to bet three hundred dollars to win a hundred, and I, it's just not worth it to me to for tie up money for four months for for that. But if it comes down a little bit, I'll probably bet on that. Uh, Northwestern is like 15 and one in their last 16 big 10 games, which is kind of unreal. Wisconsin last year was a top five team. Just had a bad quarterback. Minnesota's got a great coach. Purdue's got a great coach. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things where Nebraska being such a, like a, the favorite is just, it's just too soon for that. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much going to be Ohio state. Michigan's going to determine uh, who wins this division? So uh, just kind of a recap. I told you the Utah thing with with Pac-12. Uh, I have Oklahoma to win the Big 12 at minus 138. Ohio State, or excuse me, Iowa State to win the Big 12 at um, 10 to one for half a unit. Clemson, I told you about. <clears throat> excuse me. And Georgia, I also have Georgia to win the national championship. I got this way back when when they were 10 to one. And then I have. Uh, that Stanford bet I told you about, and then two season win totals that I just got a really good number on. Uh, I have West Virginia under six wins, minus 125. Most places have that at five. They're completely rebuilding. And then I have UCF under uh, 10 and a half wins at minus 50, or 150. 
it's just there's so few range of outcomes when you're essentially they have to win 11 or 12 games to beat me. So, you know, if they do it, they do it. But there's just so much, uh, you know, a 10 win season is very difficult to have, even though obviously they've had great success, but they're playing more big five teams. And uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. The numbers say it's a good play. So yeah, that's that's kind of a little bit of a, a sneak peek into what our, our previews are going to look like. They're all be on the website. They're all going to be way more in depth. Help you just kind of understand the programs. And uh, I actually just went back to to work this week, and uh, I met some new teachers. And it's funny because when you're new to teaching, it, it's it's a pretty difficult profession, just like pretty much any profession is. But the best way to to get good at teaching is is kind of look at it as is like, hey, I'm doing this to be better next year and the year after and the year after that. And that's really how you have to be with sports betting. So, um, you know, if you're just getting into this, you really have to look at it as like, okay, I'm getting ready for this time next year. So that's kind of what these write-ups are there to help you is kind of understand where the programs are, follow them this year, but then also help you, okay, at this time next year, you know, we have all, this is where they were at the start of 2019. This is where they're headed, you know, the year after. So that's kind of what those previews are, are in mind is, and that's really what you have to be if you want to get good at this is look at it as, okay, the this year, the year after preparing. I mean, for that Utah stuff, a lot about Utah was watching them all year and realizing, oh my God, that guy's a sophomore, that guy's a junior. It's like, well, if they bring everybody back, I mean, this is going to be a good team. And as soon as the lines came out, I, I, I hit Utah, you know, and that that's a lot of it. Kind of we talked about with Texas A&M. I mean, next year, as soon as I can get down money on them, unless, you know, the, the lines are, are terrible, I'm going to be looking to bet them. So um, that's really how you have to look at this. Um, is there anything that – any questions or anything that stood out to you uh, over that or, or what? Tell our listeners what a unit is, just in case someone has not heard of that. You said that a couple times. You're like, oh, I've got 10 units on this, half a unit on this. <laughs> right. What does that right. mean? Yeah, and I'm actually going to post a uh, an article called 10 Things uh, Every Sports Better Should Know. And they talk. Uh, it talks about a unit size in there. But that should be a percentage of your bankroll uh, dedicated to sports betting. And a unit should be a, a small percentage of that, usually 1% to 2%. That should be a unit. So it, let's say – you know, you have ten thousand uh, dollars. Your your unit should be about one percent of that. So you know, it should be about hundred dollars. Uh, should be should be your unit size. That's how much you're betting per game. What that allows you to do is is not be um, so affected by each game, but it still means enough. And that way, when you go through the inevitable swings, just like you would go through swings when you flip a coin, which is what you're not far off from doing if you're betting on sports. You really your edges are so small. You know, you're going to get heads five times in a row, and then you're going to get tails five times in a row. So that way the swings don't hurt you as much, and you're able to kind of stay true to, to your handicapping and, and what you're trying to do. So hopefully that answers that. Um, now moving on to, to fantasy football, kind of getting you ready for that. Um, I'm going to put on the website a, a top 100 list for wide receivers and running backs. Uh, that that's kind of your meat and potatoes for fantasy football is your wide receivers and running backs. Your first five to six picks, <clears throat> unless you get a tight end, should be wide receivers and running backs. Uh, if you had to pick one or the other, you you would ra- rather have a running back than a wide receiver, unless you're in a PPR league. Uh, so that's that's something I also I have written here is make sure you know your league rules. Um, PPR leagues, which is a point per reception league, 
which makes receivers and running backs who catch more passes more valuable. Make sure you know that going into your draft. I mean, that, that's a huge edge because that makes a guy like Derrick Henry who doesn't really catch a lot of passes. He should be about five to ten picks later than in a league that doesn't do PPR, doesn't reward people who catch passes. Um, so just know those basic things. Um, you re- another note I have here is you can't win your league on draft day, but you can lose it. So what I mean by that is, uh, you know, if you go chasing certain things or, or, you know, I have to have player X, I have to have player Y, um, you're kind of going to, it's going to be kind of dangerous. The the draft has to come to you. So you have your list, you know, and and you got to look for value, you know, it's all about the people who you're drafting with. I didn't have, I, I had done 25 drafts before this weekend and I hadn't gotten Baker Mayfield in any of them, but in this draft with our buddies from college, Baker Mayfield fell and I got, I drafted him. So I had no intention of getting him. I don't like taking quarterbacks early, but um, he fell to a point where it was value to get him. And that's why I, I took him um, off that. You shouldn't draft a quarterback till you have at least three running backs and three wide receivers. I usually don't draft a quarterback until around pick a hundred. That's usually about round eight. If you're doing a, t- a 12 man league or obviously the 10th round for a, a 10 man league. And I usually try to get two from there. So like I said, my my top 100 has running backs and wide receivers, whereas quarterbacks I have tiers. And I just kind of cross off a tier. And then whomever is there at, at pick 100, usually that 8th or 10th round, I just pick the best there. And then I look for another uh, quarterback in the next couple of rounds. And then you just kind of play the matchups. And then for tight ends, they're kind of the opposite of quarterbacks. So quarterbacks have a lot of depth. At the position, whereas tight ends, there's a scarcity. Uh, I I really try to leave every draft getting Travis Kelsey or George Kittle or uh, Zach Ertz. But if you don't get those three, you want to get one of the next four. And like I said, I'll I'll have my tight end tiers up there as well. But the difference between the eighth best tight end and the first best tight end is way different than the eighth best quarterback and the first best and the, the best quarterback. So... It's important that you wait on quarterbacks, but you you kind of go up for for tight ends. And like I said, I'll have this all written out. Uh, but the most important thing is, don't draft a kicker till the last round, or don't draft a kicker. There's tons of leagues I don't even have a kicker because I don't even pick them up until right as the week's going because kicker kickers are so random. And I'd rather have a guy who might end up becoming a starting running back based on injuries or a holdouts, things of that nature. So I'm going to use that position to hold on to a guy like a, uh, Austin Al- Eckler or a Justin Jackson from the Chargers who we're waiting on to see if uh, Melvin Gordon holds out, you know, and it's the same thing for Ezekiel Elliott. You know, you, you hold on to these guys and, well, they could end up being a starting running back, but you'd rather have a kicker instead who you could replace any week pretty much at the same value. So, um, I wouldn't draft a kicker till the very end, and I wouldn't draft a defense till this the second to last round. And, and really, with your picks, you're looking for guys who can win you a league. Who can you know? What's a scenario in which this this person could become a starting running back on a great team? So what I mean by that is like a backup like Latavius Murray um, can. To me, I'd rather have than somebody like a Philip Lindsay. So Latavius Murray backs up the Alvin Kamara for the Saints. The Saints are a great juggernaut offense. If Kamara got hurt, 
Latavius Murray comes becomes a, a top ten player essentially, whereas Philip Lindsay, there's he, he's the running back for the Broncos. There's really no scenario in which he gets he gets better than his current value. Even if he becomes the full time starter, he barely moves up. He's barely a top thirty, top forty player. So you're always looking for that those ceilings when you're drafting. And the most important part about fantasy football is that it's a weekly league. So matchups, situations, you know, guy injuries, things of that nature. So that's really comes back to you can't win your league on draft day, but you can't lose it. You're not going to win anything. You might have the best draft in the world, but a bunch of injuries come through or, um, you know, you you make a bad trade, something of that nature. It's a long, long season. So you got to be active on the waiver wires. You need to be picking people up. And we're going to have weekly uh, articles telling you who you should pick up. You know, if these people aren't, aren't owned in your league, pick them up ASAP, things of that nature to help you out. Uh, does any of that kind of jump out to you? Do, I know I sent you kind of my list, uh, my top 100 list that help you draft it all. It did. It did. I like. I, I think I programmed up to sixty or seventy of them, so it gave me the, gave me an idea of like, oh, this is where this had done because the reality, ours was thirty seconds per pick. So like, control effing and using two screens was not going to work. So I'm glad I had that like a little bit of homework pre done. Um, that was really helpful. But listening to you talk, I'm a little mad. I took in the second round. I took Tyreek Hill, seventeenth overall. The guy after me just took Zach Ertz, and now I'm questioning that, and I'm upset, and I I blame you particularly for uh, not recording this podcast in enough time to give me that little tidbit. Um, that Zach Ertz, that's too early for Zach Ertz. Even though what I just said, that's that's too early for Zach Ertz. Uh, okay. So yeah, that and that's one of the reasons I I didn't give you too much of a uh, you know complex email i kind of just gave you a little guideline uh just because it is easier to use that but the tight end scarcity is a real thing but just like anything else they the person you drafted in 18 that's overvalued and so what he has to perform to justify that pick is so difficult for him to perform that that yeah just so that's a really good lesson right there to, to let you know everyone know that Everything has value up until a point, and you know everything is overvalued up until some point until it falls, and that's really all we're doing with fantasy. That's all we're doing with sports betting is um, just finding value, and a lot of times that's betting on teams that have looked like absolute dog shit for two three weeks, uh, or betting against teams that have looked like world beaters for two or three weeks, and it's just because of that precise value where uh, everything has a price and everything. Uh, you know, loses and gains value. And at some point, you know, anything could become a bargain. So I think that's kind of uh, funny how, uh, you know, even though we just talked about it, it just shows you that uh, the price is right and the price is wrong for, for kind of anyone and everyone. Uh, but it sounds like you had a, a, a good draft and it's going to be a good year for, uh, you know, fullback yoga. Fullback yoga, things are looking up. Um, snagged David Johnson eighth. You had him, I think, fourth or fifth. So feeling good about that value. Um, value value play here and there. We'll see, man. I'm nervous about uh, the waiver wire. I'll have to stay on top of knowing what's going on, which is not not normally what I'm doing during NFL season. But in order to win this whatever four hundred dollars <laughs> that's on the line, I'll dedicate dozens of hours. Absolutely, and and that's kind of what our podcast is is for. You know, we're gonna have. Um, 
we're going to talk about some fantasy stuff, but that's also what the website and, and my Twitter accounts for. We're going to be tweeting out who to pick up, uh, you know, the the managing you need to do. So uh, we're going to have fun with with fullback yoga, and we're going to have fun with this podcast and this website. Um, I think that that's pretty much it. Unless there's anything else you uh, you have to say. No, I think that's good, man. I'll um, I'll come back with specific errors, mistakes, complaints, etc. about your list um, <laughs> after I blow out this guy in week one. Sounds good. Uh, next week, we're going to go ahead and get you a preview for the NFL. That'll be up on the website. We'll talk about NFL betting. Yes, it's so efficient, but why we love it, other ways to bet it other than just the traditional ATS, pregame ATS, uh, you know, ways, which are which is pretty much the hardest thing to do in American sports. Uh, and we'll also kind of do a brief introduction into Daily Fantasy, and we'll have an article that goes up with that. Um, but uh, enjoy the college football, everyone. Uh, please send us feedback, tweet us, email us, let us know, and uh, we'll see you next week. Peace.